The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by FIRST. FIRST knows that a real estate professional's most valuable asset is their relationships. A strong personal network is the moat that can guard against any industry disruption. But there is never enough time to nurture your network the way you want to. FIRST powers top agents with artificial intelligence to spotlight the people who are most likely to sell. This brings focus and attention to make important connections when it matters most. Learn more and request a free demo at first.io. Wouldn't it be nice if the people that walked through your house told you exactly why they liked it or didn't like your house and gave it a rating compared to the other houses that they've seen? So now, as a homeowner and a realtor, you have a very good idea of what you need to do to get your house sold. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 154 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow. And uh, I really appreciate it when you head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. It helps us uh, get even bigger, and, and I really I can't thank you enough for for checking it out. Uh, this week, I, I get to talk to another uh, another CEO, COO, a startup. I love these companies. It's fun to to kind of find out you know their story, how they got to where they're at, and and we're going to be talking to Anand Vora now. Anand and Amy Vora are the founders of of Porched. P-O-R-C-H-D. Uh, Amy couldn't be with us this morning, so Anand's stepping in. He's going to um, kind of give us that story. Anand, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be here. I had a chance to chat with Amy a little bit last week. And, and first of all, I want to talk about how the two of you met, because I think you win for the, um, for the not, just the most, not unusual, but <laughs> we'll put farthest away. <laughs> so how did you meet Amy? Well, here's the thing, man. I think if you ask me and if you ask Amy, our stories are going to differ slightly in our point of view. But, and I think you'll, you'll find out when I tell you the story why that is. But uh, right after graduating pharmacy school in Boston, this was in 2009, I decided to accept a director of pharmacy position in a small hospital in, in Valdez, Alaska. And my first year there, considering the limited food choices in Valdez, I wanted to make some Indian food for my birthday. I was just really having a hankering. For, for good home Indian food. The day before my birthday, I went down to the only grocery store to buy the ingredients. And at the time, Amy cashiered there part-time as a side job while she was in college. Uh, she was checking me out, pun intended. <laughs> she asked me what I was making and uh, struck up a conversation based on the groceries that I had. So at the end of the, end, end of the very pleasant conversation, and I, I politely said, you know, see you around. To, to which she replied, I hope so. And now I, you've got to consider that as a guy in Alaska where men-to-women ratio is like five to one, I took that as an invitation. So I showed up the next day claiming I had forgotten one of the ingredients for my dish, hoping that she was working. Um, there was another open cashier I remember that, that was like, hey, you can come on down here. I was like, no, I'm going to stick to this line because Amy was working again that day. And um, when my turn came, we struck up another conversation. And after finding out how much she loved Indian food, I invited her to my apartment for dinner. Wow. And 
she was my birthday present that year, and I've I've been receiving presents ever since. <laughs> wow, that's great. That's awesome. I love that story. That now, um, let, let's continue down that vein because you know we mentioned we we're gonna get we're gonna get to port shortly. We're gonna talk about what you're doing there. But um, sure. the two of you have started up multiple businesses because there was one in Alaska, right? Yes, there was. Um, it was in fact six months after we met. Um, we opened up the fir- very first Indian restaurant in the history of Valdez, Alaska together. Wow. And, and how yeah, did it go? It was, uh, man, it was, it was unique because we had come up with an idea for the restaurant on our couch while we were just sitting down. On our very first date, that, that night that I invited her to dinner, I, I told her that my, one of my dreams was uh, opening up an Indian restaurant. And uh, the dynamics of our relationship is um, I'm a thinker, but she is, she's really the doer. And uh, if, if she doesn't persuade me to get off my butt and start doing something, it most likely isn't going to happen. It always stays in my head. But so that's when we were sitting on the couch and she, uh, we were talking about how to come up with, uh, with an idea for a restaurant, how we're going to make it work. Cause I had a, I had a full-time pharmacy position in Alaska and there's only 4,000 people. So you really have very limited choices for labor. So, uh, we decided that we were just going to keep it open for, for dinner. Our idea was we made three dishes that would run weekly. You could come in and sample all the three dishes and that was our menu. So you picked whichever dish you like to eat. If you didn't like any of the dishes, you could come back next week and sample three more unique dishes. Wow. Yeah. And so although although it was unique and it was successful because we sold the restaurant after three months, it was it was a lot of work. I worked eight to five as a director of pharmacy at the hospital and then I'd come home and by five thirty I would have changed and I would be a server at the restaurant from five thirty to ten. Oh. Um yeah, and we did we did a lot of days like that, and uh, I handled I ha- and Amy handled everything else from marketing to being a white Indian chef, and I don't I, I don't put that lightly because we would get Indians coming from everywhere in the world uh, and to Alaska, and they'd come in, they'd like to meet the chef, and they would expect some somebody Indian, and here comes Amy, completely white. <laughs> yeah. With flour on her face, and it was uh, it was it was interesting. But our hard work paid off because we had a lot of great reviews on TripAdvisor and Lonely Planet, which is a popular guidebook. One of the people from Lonely Planet came over to test our food, and she said that she would fly from anywhere in the world just to come eat at our place. Even ESPN called us after we closed down to see if we can do like vendors, we can be a vendor for Indian food at heli camps and snowboarding competitions, snow machine competitions. Wow. So that was, it was a really cool experience. And we learned a very, very valuable lesson about ourselves during that time. And that was, we did not want a business that required us to run it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We oh. want, we want, <laughs> We want a business that can provide us with a passive income stream without us being without us running it. Right. And that 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 was believe it or not that was a very interesting lesson for us. Uh, somehow you end up now in South Carolina, right? You're in I think Sumter, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And so, what part of the country did Amy grow up? And then I believe you're not native here, correct? Where did t- talk about growing up for you? 
growing up for me was uh, was India until okay. I was fourteen, and then I was uh, and I moved to U.S. with my parents in in nineteen ninety nine, and since then I've lived in New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Alaska, briefly in Tennessee, and now I'm in South Carolina. Okay, and then and, Amy, and uh, I believe the South or where was her? Uh, where did she? Uh, Amy grew up in California. Okay. Because you're from India, I have to share a story. I took a flight from Boston to Phoenix. And on the flight with me was uh, an Indian gentleman. And um, in the middle seat, I'm in the window seat. I've got my computer up and I'm watching football. And he, uh, American football. <laughs> and, oh, and I can, I can already see this. You know where we're going, right? Yeah. And so we start talking and uh, I'm, I'm very curious, right? And he doesn't really know football very well. And so I'm explaining football to him. And we have a nice conversation for about an hour talking about football. And I turn to him and I say, I say, you've got to tell me about cricket. I said, it's, I, I, I tried to watch it. It's uh, <laughs> so, uh, and so for an hour on and for an hour, he, he shows me, he tells me about the Babe Ruth of cricket. You know, the guy, uh, oh my God. more Sixers than anybody else. And we talk about the rules and I go, but that's foul. He goes, there's no foul. Um, <laughs> you see where I'm headed, right? I do. I do. Now, did you grow up playing cricket? In, it, because you live there, was cricket your sport? Oh man, it was. It wow. was. It was like if you weren't playing cricket, I don't. I don't know if you were, you're classified as an Indian man. Okay. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's it's very very passionate. Um, passionate sport. We loved it. I absolutely loved it, and I haven't played it since I've been to America. Have you ever found? Uh, there must be some cricket clubs and things around the country. I'm sure. Oh, there's plenty. There's yeah. plenty. It's just I think uh, it has a different dynamic for me now. I don't. Um, I just never get to go out because of the startups and the businesses yeah. that we have running. So, just never get a time. Have you ever successfully explained cricket to somebody here in the States? <laughs> no. No, and I bet <laughs> I never will either because they can't stop comparing to baseball and right. it's two yeah. different sports. And right. I, I, I have a feeling, and I think I heard a story, that baseball evolved from cricket because Britain plays cricket. Right. And I don't know if if baseball came from cricket, but that's the story that I've heard. So I don't know. Look, I mean, look, they're they, they both use bats. So we, we got that. <laughs> There's got to be. Some we time. do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. everything else is different. Everything else is quite different. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And, and one day you and I will have a sidebar conversation. I'm going to get back into cricket somehow. Um, but it, absolutely. <laughs> good. Let, absolutely. No, I know that both of you are investors in real estate. Fix and flip is part of, you, you know, you talked about you're looking for a way um, to create income, this passive income. And one of those is sometimes, you know, you know, fix and hold or whatever you want to do there. But how did you, sure. how, did, how did you enter the, that world, the, the investor side of real estate? And talk about the, any of those challenges along the way. Challenges would be an understatement, I think, mm-hmm. especially considering how we entered into real estate. Um, as a pharmacist, I think I always wanted a side side income because we have a lot of expensive hobbies and we, we kind of want to afford that. So in 2010, a good buddy of mine from pharmacy, from pharmacy um, world told me, you know, just kind of, I was very naive at that time. And I was, I always thought that having a job uh, would be, would be okay for the rest of my life. Until he put a bug in my ear about, you know, what happens when your job lays you off or you don't have that support or they don't need you anymore. 
And um, that resonated with me. And I, I, you know, he was leaning towards real estate. So I started leaning towards, started learning about real estate as well. And that was in 2010. And I've been wanting to pull the trigger on doing a real estate deal since then. And finally pulled the trigger on doing a flip in South Carolina in 2015. I tried to go on the deal with my dad, who was a very traditional Indian. We made an offer and we couldn't come to an agreement for $2,000. And at the time, I think my dad was thinking of financing the deal. So he's like, you know what? I'm I'm not going to do that. So we decided to drop it. The month after that, I decided to revisit the property again with my dad. And we put in an even lower offer because the property was still available. This time, we couldn't agree for $1,000. And I think, I really think at that time, my, my dad was having cold feet. A couple months later, I approached my buddy Michael because the property was still on the market to put in an offer. And we combined our funds. We realized we were pretty short. So we brought in another buddy to solve that problem. Um, now we had three investors total. The out-of-state seller was asking for $140,000 for this house. And I think after, after probably a week or so of negotiation, we were able to bring the price down to $94,000 because it, was, it just needed so much work. Wow. It was amazing. We thought we were, we were doing pretty good until... The contractor that we had hired to give us a quote for the house after we bought it raised his price by ten thousand mm. dollars, and we cat whatever we calculated in our um, in our profit and loss before we bought it, it wasn't working with what we had gotten. So this was a huge setback. And now you got you've got to understand we're, we're like flip versions here, and this is everything that could go wrong was going wrong for us, uh, even though we thought we were getting a good deal. We were stuck with a house with nobody knows anything about how to fix whatever we need to fix. So after thinking for a little bit and discussing things um, with Amy, we consulted with our realtor to figure out what repairs needed to be done. And once we had the list, I think my buddy and I started calling each vendor separately for each of the services. That took us at least a good amount of time and to get all the quotes together. We were able to have the repairs done even cheaper than our contractor's first quote. After everything was done, we thought we were in the final stretch here until we were getting, until we figured out that we weren't getting any offers for, for at least three or four months. After four months of realizing that our realtor had priced the house way too high, we dropped the price. However, we were approaching the slow season in our town. Our, our town is, is um, hugely affected by the military that comes in. And the military had already come in for their rotation. They were already settled down. And I think it was really time to find a, a better realtor. However, this realtor was a friend, and the breakup was, was pretty messy, as I remembered it. Now, we were back to square one because we, ha- we had a good house, but we didn't have a realtor to represent us. So we decided to, we ended up just interviewing a few real, a few more realtors, top agents around town. Um, and when he took over, it was, he, he couldn't work any miracles because of the, the timing of the deal. And uh, we, were, we were pretty much on edge at this point. And we didn't know if we were going to lose our money or break even. We, we had no hopes of, of making a profit for sure. I don't remember how it happened, but a couple loved the house so much 
because it, I mean, it, the house was done completely right with pre-inspection and everything. They decided to buy it and the price for 157,000 and all three of us made about four, four grand worth of profit. Not much, but after we learned a very, very valuable lesson, actually a lot of lessons in that. Right. And, um, there were a lot of hiccups, but it was a happy ending. I think you've solved the uh, realtor problem, haven't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> Amy's a realtor now. <laughs> <laughs> I never have to go anywhere else. <laughs> right. So now, now, are you still all out there looking for opportunities? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We um, we still have a good flip portfolio. Nice, very good. And so yeah. th this kind of leads me then to what you what you started with Porched because looking at the the website and, and the app, it, it, it has like these multiple audiences. And so we're going to talk about that, but let's start kind of at the beginning. Uh, what, what was, what was, first of all, tell us what porch does and then tell us the problem that what'd you see where you went, wow, there's a solution for this and we can do this. Talk about that, that story. Yeah, I think uh, most of us are, are going to be familiar with uh, the hot or not platform for, uh, you know, for rating, individuals uh, right. about how they look right so yeah. at first we just we just wanted a hot or not like platform for real estate we thought it would be it would be cool and original and nothing like that exists right now but when we started building it actually building it we realized the applications for it so for example take a house search on Zillow okay everybody's done it when your house shows up on Zillow for sale or for rent it gets a lot of foot traffic, right, quote, unquote, all, all day long, just like an open house would. Well, in a traditional open house, wouldn't it be nice if the people that walked through your house told you exactly why they liked it or didn't like your house and gave it a rating compared to the other houses that they've seen? So now, as a homeowner and a realtor, you have a very good idea of what you need to do to get your house sold. So when we looked at all the major real estate search engines, there is no feedback mechanism that exists for properties. So we decided to build a platform that does just that to solve that problem. Okay. What's the feed been, feedback been like so far? It's been interesting. Um, just so you understand a little bit of dynamics, the raters and the properties are anonymous to each other. So the raters don't know what the address of the property is, and the, and the realtors and the homeowners don't know who's rating the house. We found that people tend to be more honest when they're hiding behind a mask and uh, when they don't have repercussions for what they're going about to say. So because of this, the comments and ratings seem to be brutally honest but helpful. In our first case study, a realtor was able to convince a seller to make an allowance for a fence in his newly constructed house. Based on the comments received on the platform, it was on a very busy road and most everybody that most of the potential buyers that commented on and said, hey, you know, if you had a fence around it, um, I have pets or I have small children, we would we'd consider buying it. Another case study involved a realtor that posted pictures that the homeowner took to get feedback. And when he put it on the platform, almost everybody commented on how dark the pictures were along with the incorrect angles. Uh, he took that feedback back to the homeowner and he was able to kind of win him over on why he should have a realtor on his side. So that was a, that was a pretty good win. Another one involved, one of our realtor investors, he actually, he was able to convince the sellers that a red living room, although was looked really nice, it just wasn't what most 
um, modern buyers were looking for. So they ended up repainting that living room and it actually sold within the next week. So that was, that was a really cool one. And just recently we had, man, I'm, I'm telling you, some of these homeowners, like, I think they really do need help because one of the, one of the homeowners put pictures on Zillow and one of the pictures had her hordes of shoes all over the dresser on the bed. And she, she, she took the pictures that way. And the comments were, were absolutely brutal. Like one of them was like, did you, did you just close down a shoe store and you have nowhere to put those shoes or something like that? And it was just, people were, were going at it. And when we took that back, I think we were able to make her understand that if you have a $300,000 house, especially in this market, people have a certain standard for it. And they expect you to have professional photography and to make the jump from Zillow to a live showing, you, you're going to have to make some changes to attract those people. And I, I think that went very, very well. It sounds like there's the multiple uses for the platform. It's not just, you know, do A, then B, then C. Uh, I could be an investor or I could and use it for feedback. I could be a realtor. I could just be a homeowner that finds out about the app. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's an interesting. Like, I like that play where it's not just one audience, right? Right. And it just, it, uh, what it does, it, it, it helps you see the house through a potential buyer's eyes. And that's important because if you think about it, there's really nothing like that out there in the market that, that helps you do that. Because of the comments and the ratings, you're able to compare your houses with other, other houses that are in the market. You're able to make change. Even if you just have a disagreement with your wife about the kitchen color, you're able to solve that to make it more sellable in the future. Okay, but can, yeah, you're I right. Can, I can crowdsource the color, the paint job. You can, yeah, you can crowdsource <laughs> and it's absolutely free. So there's really no downside to it. Wow. T- tell me on in some of the challenges launching a real estate product. I, mean, I, I can't imagine it's a simple process. No, no, it's not. We had, we had a multiple challenges along the way, but I, I think if I had to choose one, it would be, it would be timing. Real estate technology, tech is ripe for the taking right now, but the products are scattered everywhere. So the people in real estate are getting bombarded with new tech every day. And I really feel like it's slowly making them numb to it. And to to launch a product early in this game is exciting, but I feel like it makes for an uphill battle for adoption. And it's, that would be my take on it is, is timing. Because I think right now uh, it's free for all. And if you don't have a product that really does it all from end to end, I think that that is one of our biggest challenges is when to enter the game. Right. Yeah, I get it. Uh, t- talk about as an investor, what, how would you use Porched? What's your number one, you know, number one thing you're going to tell in uh, a room full of, say, you're at an investor conference. What are you telling them about Porched and why it's important for them? The biggest thing for real estate investors is people are not going to post a property that they know that there nothing needs to be done there. And there is no money to be made in a property if it's already done and it's ready to go. Most properties are going to be distressed or people don't know what to do with their house or how, what, they, what changes do they need or where it stands compared to the other ones, which makes it 
a huge hub for properties that would probably sell for less than uh, favorable prices for the sellers. Right. And there are sellers out there that are willing to let go of the property because they don't want to make those changes because A, they, they're, they're not willing to make those changes or B, they're doing something else and this is just not their forte, which makes it a huge opportunity for investors to go into the site and start rating these houses because you have a way to connect with the realtor on the other end or the homeowner uh, by clicking, I'm interested in this property. So now you've got all these properties available to you that are in one place that are either distressed or needs work where you can make a profit off of. Right. So, so it's, it's, if I'm a realtor, and I'll ask you this question because you have the unique situation of being an investor, Amy's a realtor, and, and agents ask a lot, you know, I, how do you work with investors or how can I get connected with an investor? Do you, you, have, you haven't been doing it a long time, but long enough that you know the ropes. Would you have any advice yeah. for an agent asking that question? Yes. Well, I have an example that what not to do. When we went to Columbia recently to find properties for, you know, for investing, we met with one of the agents at a brokerage and she took us to all the wrong houses. The houses that investors are looking for are, are houses that need work, that actually that they want to put work into it so they can, they're able to make money off of it and raise the price of the house. According to her calculations, she thought that it was a good investor property, but most of these properties had already been rehabbed and they were on the market for full price and there was absolutely nothing that would have interested us. And for the next three hours, she literally wasted our time. If you want to work with an investor, you have to understand that we're not looking for a traditional real estate. We're looking for something that's going to make us money. So if, it, if the house is worth $150,000 and if it's going for $140,000, we are probably not going to want to get into it. You have to be able to do the numbers for your investors prior so you know that it's a good deal for your investors. So when you approach them, you're not wasting your time. Yeah. It almost sounds like a um, if you're even if for a newer agent just getting in the business, go, go read a couple books on real estate investing. Go look at uh, listen to a couple podcasts and just understand the dynamics, right? Because absolutely, because yeah. it's a completely different game. Yeah, and you you can you, I know some agents do very well by hunting out properties and calling up you know an investor or two that they know and saying I think I got one for you and turning that into a transaction, right? right? Yeah. Right. And you're absolutely right. And there's actually plenty of properties out there. There's plenty of motivated sellers out there. But for an investor, it's all about numbers. If the numbers don't work, they're, you're wasting their time. Yeah. And that's something that's, that's the last thing you want to do because investors are very finicky. You know, when they, if they spend two or three hours with you and you're not showing them something that's worth their time, they're probably going to move on and not trust your next decision or judgment. Right. So. Well, Anna, and I had you here the half hour I asked of your time. And so I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked every guest on the podcast. Now, you're not a realtor, but you're heavily involved in the industry. So I, I'm sure you have an answer for this question. And the, the question is this. What one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? That's actually pretty easy. I think new agents should have a strong work ethic, a knack for learning, and willingness to invest time and money. because. I really think those are the traits needed to start and grow a successful business. And until you start treating 
being an agent as a business rather than a hobby or a part-time gig, success in the form of money is going to be hard to come by because that's literally what it is. It's a business. Real estate, being an agent is a business. And I've worked with Amy so many times to, to finally understand that. And if you don't give it enough time, if you don't give it enough um, investments and money and resources, it's, it's going to be hard to make it. It's like the original startup in the world of real estate is being a realtor, right? That's absolutely correct. And it's, and there's so many times we see here that there's uh, there's part-time real estate agents and, you know, they're doing it for, for extra money and stuff like that, but they're not very successful at it because it's not a part-time thing. And this right. is, this is, you got to treat it as a business. Otherwise it's, it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. On and if people want to reach out to you or Amy, what's the best way to get in touch with them? If they have questions about Porched, uh, what are your contacts? Our, we, we usually have email contacts, and it's, uh, it's my first name, Anand, or Anand, A-N-A-N-D, Bora, V-O-R-A, at Porch.com, or Amy, A-I-M-E-E, V-O-R-A, at Porch.com. Awesome. Well, Anna, it's going to be fun to watch uh, this this company grow. I really appreciate your time. Please wish Amy well. Um, I, I know she was feeling a little bit under the weather, and we couldn't have her on the, the episode today. But uh, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you um, you taking the time to hear us out.